Welcome to The Director's Take, a podcast where we explore how you go from directing something with your mates to being the most senior decision maker on a film set. I'm Oz Arshad. And I'm Marcus Thomas. And we are both writer-directors at the beginning of our TV and feature film directing journeys. The pathway doesn't exist, so we are going to do our best to help bridge the gap. Welcome back to the director's take. It's been really cool to see all of your reaction to the episodes of Lewis. We've had a lot of like experienced directors reach out to us and, and saying how, how helpful that's been for them. So that's been great. We always thought there'll be lots of directors out there who have been elevated quickly and maybe have found their way over time and made lots of mistakes because there's no real clarity on what the job is. And if we can create something which helps break that down and make it clearer exactly what the job is, I think it's only going to create a healthier industry. So it's been great to get a bit of feedback on that front. As for me and Oz personally, I think by the time this episode comes out, I am screening my film. It's premiering at London Film Festival, BFI Southbank NFT1 on the Saturday, the 7th of October. So that's really, really cool. I'm excited about that. My new sci-fi film, which I'm making in conjunction with Disney and the NFTS or Star Imagine UK program. Big deal, actually. Hopefully get lots of work off that. We'll see. If not, what's it all for? Oz is in the edit. He, he finished shooting a short film the other day and he's straight into the edit and it's his second film of the year because he's a psychopath, but he's he's just grafting away and doing his own thing. So we figured we'd use the front of the episodes to give you a bit of an update because we record them out of time and we release them out of order. So this feels like the best way to do that. And we'll make sure that we're not just posting our wins. We'll be sure to let you know if we're just chilling in our pants and watching and writing and just playing PlayStation, which we also do a lot. So, yeah, balance. Anyway, that's enough ramble. We've got a fucking ridiculous episode today. This is one of my favourites. I went to film school at the NFTS, as I'm sure you'll probably know at this point. And there's a tutor there. They're all amazing. And they all have a massive influence on lots of people's careers. And this tutor, I think Lewis referenced in the last episode, Ian Seller, everything he knows, he's learned from Ian and regurgitates from him. There's a lot of people who say that this guy is a genius. To my mind, that's always up for debate. I mean, what is a genius? But what he does do is, if there is a genius, it's in his entire simplicity of the process. He breaks everything down into its most simplest form. Because I think as filmmakers, as creatives and as artists, we make everything complicated and we get very jumbled in our heads and we it can stifle us sometimes. But he's a master of just bringing you back to your core and making everything as simple as possible. Everyone that you've seen who's left the NFTS and been super successful, he's had a hand in their development as well as the other tutors. So sit back, relax and enjoy part one of our chat with Ian Seller. Hello and welcome to The Director's Take. Ian Seller is a Scottish director, screenwriter, script editor and tutor at the National Film and Television School. He began his career as an assistant to Bill Douglas, after which he went on to directing shorts and studying at the NFTS. He made features Venus Peter and also Prague, which was an official selection at Cannes and went on to be distributed worldwide. He runs feature writing and directing workshops internationally. And I know you do like a lot of work around script editing and things now um, and Everyone who has come into contact with you comes away feeling as though you're a genius, which I'm sure will make you uh, <laughs> blush a bit. Well, it's, it's true. It's true. I am a genius. <laughs> yeah, <that's... laughs> 
that's what he tells us. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, we're just super excited to have you on. So, yeah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Ian Thank you. Good to be here. Good to see both of you. Um, yeah. So, so, so before we jump into it, I just wanted to kind of um, preface this discussion with, you know, your learning that you um, teach, Ian, very much stays with people. We've had two or three directors on this podcast that have actually quoted you when when we've had the discussion and, and one of those sage advice that you've given in the past that stays with people is what does that and there's an episode that we did with Annette Alofra I don't think we've put it out yet but if it's out it's out if it's not it's not and she said Oz what was it that Ian used to tell us back in, in that in that lesson and, and I'm like which one and he goes don't try and be clever keep it simple well thank you yeah it's difficult to find the simple bit as it were you know you read a scene or something and it it feels you know it's got this that and the other in it and it's really difficult it takes real time to to find a sort of simple line through it you know but but, but you can free yourself up if you do that you know to, to yeah. have fun exactly so it would be good to actually dig backwards into your life in because yeah. i think I mean, I've known you for a while. I actually don't know that much about you. Like, I don't know where you came from. I just assume you hatched from an egg or something and started making and advising on films. <laughs> so it would be good to know a little bit about you and how you got into films. Like, where where did that come from? Okay, I was, well, I came from uh, another planet, but I won't talk about that. But uh, <laughs> then went to school, did, I went on a photography course at Napier in Scotland, and it was like a technical course. It was called, it was a city and guilds thing. I don't know whether they still have city and guilds, but it was like a technical training. So I spent like three months taking photographs of boxes and things like that. Uh, and then I think while I was there, oh, and then I went to, you know, I did, went on a, on a film course. Uh, I went on the, the odd course sort of thing. And eventually, but ended up in Edinburgh. And there I met somebody in a pub, the way you do, uh, <laughs> who said they didn't say they could get me into movies, but they were, I, I think the festival was on. And I went along and said, how'd you get into films? And they said, go and see this guy in a pub, which I did. And that was uh, the producer of, of, there's a director called Bill Douglas. And uh, mm. it was his first film and they were just setting it up and I got a job as a runner on that. That's crazy that you just got a job out of that nugget of information rather than getting your wallet stolen. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a setup. <laughs> it does sound like a setup as well. And I actually don't do this at home, basically, you know. Uh, but, but yeah, it seemed to work out. Um, actually, in that first experience, I turned up somewhere, you know. They said, I'll oh, turn up in this village at this time sort of thing. And like five hours later, some, somebody else turned up. You know, I got a sense the films might be slightly chaotic. So anyway, I was, I was really lucky because Bill Douglas is a really, really good filmmaker. And um, it sort of, it totally opened my eyes that what, like you're looking at a street or whatever, you know, that you're used to looking at and then you put a camera on it. But if you get put the camera in a certain place, it suddenly sort of goes into a kind of a focus. Mm. Uh, it was amazing. I, I got to look through the camera a lot because they just let me. Uh, and you could see the shock suddenly sort of just finding that focus, you know, and, and turning it into something special. So I was really lucky in that. So, and, and, and then I went on to work as in cutting rooms and a bit as, as assistant and eventually did a bit of editing and a bit of design. 
So I, I dotted about a bit doing those mm. jobs. And how long did you spend doing that, like traveling around productions and in all the departments? It was, uh, it must have been about four or five years or something. And the, the, eventually I went to film school, mm. you know, I, I think, I suppose everyone reaches the point of like, you, you do these jobs for nothing. I suppose eventually you reach the point where perhaps be good to get some money. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> and it, were, it was a bit like that. So that, that pushed me, obviously I had to have to get serious about this. And, and I think then I went, I, I, I was beginning to make money as an editor and things like that, but it was, it was the directing thing sort of did it for me. And what, what was it about, what was it about the directing thing that, that appealed to you Ian back then? I was having total control over the whole world. I think that's, a, <laughs> that, that's, that's sort of like, how wrong you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wrong. Actually, it, it, I just worked out recently. I think it is. It's basically because I don't understand much, genuinely. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't quite know how things work. I don't quite know where people are coming from, and so on and so forth. So it sort of. Yeah, I just worked at that, this out not longer. Is it's uh, I'm just trying to work it out basically, you know. So it's, mm. so it's based on a lack of understanding, as well as all the ego stuff and want to be rich and famous and all that sort of thing. But behind that, I think is this: I, I just don't quite understand, and and want to. Hmm. I think that's a great starting point, though, for creativity, though, isn't it? Is is curiosity, is it they say? Yeah. It means you're looking into something rather than imposing on it. You mm. know what I mean? You are thinking, well, what the fuck's this? And mm. uh, rather than say, I want it to be like this or whatever. So mm. it, it's, I think it's useful. I mean, I was lucky in that way in that, you know, uh, that side compared to the ego side, the, uh, it sort of, it pushed me into discovering more, mm. you know. Uh, and I suppose I'm, I'm still tr trying to understand stuff, obviously, and it's getting worse all the time. As I understand. <laughs> do you think that? Do you think there has to be, especially with directing and even creating art? Do you think there has to be a humility where you submit to not knowing everything, and you have to be open, almost like I guess there has to be some level of intellectual submission to your art, and it's like I don't understand this, so I'm going to put my ego, ego aside. And just submit to actually learning new things. Yeah, I think that's a good way of saying it because obviously the ego is there, you know. So we've all got it, uh, but it can stop you actually seeing what's in front of you, you know. Mm. Uh, particularly if you feel as a director, you should be doing stuff all the time, you know. You should be being the great artists and doing this amazing, clever stuff, uh, which everyone wants to do. That kind of circus side of it. Yeah, just actually seeing what's there. And I suppose all good art, actually, or what can end up as good art is about people actually seeing what's in front of them. You know, mm. trying, like, looking at whatever, you know. And, mm. and yeah. What's if you look at, like, Picasso stuff or something or any sort of people, they, they could, it's, it's weird what they can see. And they can see so clearly. You know, I, I find it completely amazing. You know, they see a horse or something and just do a few lines and they've captured it. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. Yeah. So so I think that's that's the art in a way, is is that uh, the attempt to understand something, mm. you know. And the ego, 
in a way, but but it's having the confidence to know that you can own that space when you've got there. You know what I mean? So, in fact, like a Picasso thing looks like a Picasso thing, it, it, but it's because he's seeing. It's not because he's trying to be Picasso. You know? Well, I don't know. Never knew the man. It, would Would you say, Ian, that ego, our component of ego, is necessary in art? Yeah. Um, I suppose you need to be able to stand up and say, I want to communicate this. I want to think. And I suppose there's a lot of ego in that. You know, I think there's always a mix, but it can be the downfall of many a filmmaker in a way, and certainly a starting off filmmaker, of just trying to impose themselves on everything, you know. But it's, perhaps it's a balance. I don't know. How, what do you both feel of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, it, it comes to voice, doesn't it? It's it's about like whatever that is in, in perspective. And I guess when people get validation for their voice, then I think there's a danger of chasing what you think your voice is based on mm. that external validation, what people say about it, rather than just staying true to whatever the fuck you want to do still, even if it veers away from the conventions which other people have noticed about what you're doing. I, th I think that, yeah, that is exactly it. And I, I, I find that akin and parallel to bands when they, maybe not now, but going back when, you know, people used to buy shit, uh, like, like tangible uh, product, when bands would have second album syndrome, because in the first album they've created, like you're saying, Marcus, this, this I guess, masterpiece, which has grown out of that urge of trying to just break through. Then they're making the second album while they're actually getting the success of the first one, but they're trying to encapsulate that same feeling that they had when they created the first one. Mm. And it's kind of like putting your ego at the door and and actually where's the growth so that, you know, where's the growth and listening to that noise? Uh, yeah. Sorry, cutting through the noise. But it goes back to what you were saying, Ian, like I was saying at the top of this, like, you know, one of the editors that I work with, um, Ian Robertson, he also is in awe of you. He graduated in 2017 and he came back with that same advice that you say as well. Don't try and be clever, be simple, because as a director, there's so many other pressures that you're trying to live up to. It can actually convolute and obfuscate what you're trying to actually create in its pure form. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. There is so much around that there's noise, I suppose, around, you know, that, that and I agree it gets more of you. It can be distracting people's feedback, you know, uh, just as distracting if they think it's the most wonderful thing ever is the worst thing ever you know because you can lose you can start re uh working towards that in a way or towards that voice you know yeah it's tough i i, I think everyone finds it complicated and uh and i think people evolve, are evolving all the time you know what i mean you do one thing and that works in a certain way do it again doesn't quite work i think people just have to keep as a director you have to keep sort of keep evolving so you don't get stuck in some path or something i don't know mm. Yeah, like stay curious. After working around a bit, you you ended up making your own feature films. Like, how how did that come about? Because that's quite a difficult endeavor <laughs> to to make some features. <laughs> oh, it's it's really simple making features. I think no problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm the only one in this conversation who's not made one. So <laughs> just like looking up at both of you. Actually, I don't think it's that different from making a shorter film. I think all films are difficult. You know. So it, it just takes longer. It's difficult in that way. Uh, but I suppose, and it's difficult getting the gig. Yeah, the first film, 
came about because a producer had heard of me uh, who hadn't produced anything before, this guy, Chris Young. And he brought this book to me saying, uh, no, he brought a script to me, actually, a very long sort of operatic script, which which was an adaptation of this book uh, called The Twelve Months and a Day. And I told him it wasn't a film, it was an opera and it didn't work sort of thing. So, so I suppose that was the one thing I was sort of, I suppose that might be the ego there actually in a way, but I just thought it didn't work. Uh, and I ended up working on it as a script. And then uh, I think it was Channel 4 got involved. And actually, that wasn't the first film I made. So I forgot about it. I've I've got a whole movie. Well, which one are you talking about? Are you talking about Prague or, or Venus Peter? So that, that was talking about, um, that's Venus Peter. But I made a film, actually, while I was at film school, I took a year away. And made this film for German TV called Over Germany, which was a kind of bi- biographical film, uh, just just forty odd minutes long. Can you call that feature forty seven minutes? It's on anyway, that, I... that borderline, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I did that for German TV, and that and that was in in Hamburg. It was a, it was biographical. It was about me as a kid going over to Germany. I had a sort of Jewish grandmother that I sort of visited, and it was about that story sort of thing. And that, so I'd made that, therefore that's how Venus Peter was brought to me, I suppose. Somebody had seen that uh, and so on. And then Channel 4, so backed it. And then obviously that that kind of got you some accolades and you went on to make Prague, which did quite well. Yeah, no, it got into Cannes, that first one, which was, which was, which was very nice. Uh, and and it, did Venus it Peter some... get into Cannes as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, both are into uh, wow. Um, I'd like to see your cans, darling. Was... Oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> they, just love, they, they just love me over there, you know, <laughs> desperate for my next movie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so that 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 did well in that sort of way, you know, went around festivals and things, and and I got to travel around a lot, which was fun, uh, and also a bit distracting talking about getting distracted. Uh, then set up Prague. We're, we're very close to shooting. Then some of the money fell away, so it was put off a year. So that that was quite a complex sort of journey. That that and ended up making that 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 went to Cannes as well and did a lot less well than the first one. So like the first one, if you do well there, everyone's you're everyone's friend and hey, blah blah blah. If you have a film that doesn't do well, there, it just goes flat as a pancake. It's kind of disturbing. But is that what Still. happened afterwards? Like it, the heat kind of like died off. Yeah, I suppose after after that, I'd had a number of projects, uh, and I'd started I'd started teaching for some reason, you know, because it takes so long to get these projects going. Mm. And I started teaching uh, at the film school, and it sort of um, so whilst I was t- developing various projects that, that vanished for various good and bad reasons over the next kind of five years. Um, I was getting more and more into teaching. So by the end of those five years, I ended up doing, I was sort of doing it as a job. Obviously, Ian, there must have been uh, a certain level of satisfaction that you were getting from teaching. Uh, and I'm just curious about what that what that <laughs> was, you know, passing that knowledge on. You know, if you were double um, selected for Cannes, that's, a, that's an incredible uh, achievement. 
um, and then to go into teaching and you know you, you're definitely qualified to teach so what what is it about teaching that kind of motivates you and it's cool I mean it's to be honest it wasn't like say oh shall I teach or shall I go to Cannes another time sort of thing it, it was it was slightly more pragmatic than that is how how to make a living but I suppose I do I do I didn't still do fine from teaching like I it takes a lot of the boxes you 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 need when you're directing it ticked when you're directing you know it's got that kind of engagement uh it's not the same you know because you, you can be a real buzz sort of directing but uh, it's 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 got a lot of the elements and it's you're talking about filming things all the time and and so engaging with people and and what weird ideas they've got and yeah so i guess like you you've come into contact with a lot of filmmakers through through the nfts and and your your other work and seen a lot of people come and go and yeah so i'm intrigued to know like if you've seen any sort of commonalities which you've witnessed amongst the successful filmmakers that you've worked with um or even the ones who aren't successful but make interesting work yeah yeah uh, we're trying to find a formula and that's what we're trying to get to yeah yeah, yeah. Just, just just do this and, and you'll be <laughs> yeah, fine. exactly yeah yeah a shortcut we want a shortcut yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so difficult because they're all they are so different. This isn't just throwing that line as it were, but you know, and it's also what's successful for people. You know, what's successful for mm. people could be making a, a regular income, and that can be very successful. You know what I mean? That can be hugely important, obviously. So it there are lots of variations of that. Or you can get like you. So you do get people that go into work and stay in work, sort of thing, and and that's their drive. Um, uh, you can get somebody who's out for 15 years and then makes the feature. And in those 15 years, they were, I was, it was, there was a woman called Relitsa Petrova who, who, who had this great movie a few years ago, I think called Godless, I think was the name or, or something. Anyway, she came to do a Q and A and the film was this wonderful sort of dark movie. Uh, and somebody had asked what, what had her career strategy been or something like that. Uh, and basically, she'd worked as a cinema usher for ten years. You know mm. that had mm. been her. So uh, she made this really good film. You know, she wasn't bitter and twisted that she's it takes so long. But it's so different for different people. So I don't think there is one thing. I suppose the desire to do it's important. That feels like a lot of it, doesn't it? It's because like the the life aspect is so difficult. It's like how to protect the art of making stuff whilst trying to navigate the life side of it because in an institution like nfts like it's 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 simpler because you're there to do the thing and that's it but when you kind of leave i think people struggle a lot because all the other stuff muddies the waters again yeah really difficult i mean that journey when people leave film school is 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 some people find it really really tough in a way i suppose the, the kind of simple thing about film school is that you've got this one thing to do in a way Mm. you know and i suppose your life is ridiculously defined you know time almost timetables you, you know mm. where was past that you don't have that it's weird i used to be free you know before i went film school and thing i used to work freelance doing this that and the other and it is is odd you you i suppose you do get into that thing thinking mm. i'm working now and not won't be working next month blah 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 you know um sorry i'm not sure if that's adding anything no it's all interesting <laughs> just <laughs> just deconstructing life because yeah no it that it is difficult i guess uh leaving film school but i guess there's a lot of people who also aren't at film school aren't 
lucky enough to go there or, or it just doesn't suit them at all. But yeah, it's how to protect the creativity whilst you're out and about is, is, um, is one of the challenges. Just going back to that, just going back to that, is there a commonality um, amongst people that are successful? Do you think, Ian, it's about that, you know, we were talking about the purity of, 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 of kind of like listening to yourself and pushing away the noise and, and shooting from that hip rather than, you know, the, the kind of uh, expectation version. Do you think that, that that's what it is? Uh, that it just really is about just trying to just like listen to yourself and spend time with yourself when you are creating this stuff and coming from that almost like a meditation yeah that would that would be good but, but what you're describing is difficult to achieve you know what i mean but i suppose everything mm. else is difficult to achieve mm. but yeah i don't i honestly don't know if there is like people are so different what drives them i think there is some commonality in directors and things you know in, in not understanding anything and so on and so forth but i honestly don't know it is it's it's, it, it, it's so personal what's driving us all you know and uh you know involving egos and not egos and all that sort of thing and money and not money and all that sort of thing so it's it's um i suppose you have to accept that it's tough and i suppose you need to be honest with yourself in that but also generous to yourself in that it's not like it's very it's very easy to beat yourself up because you haven't got a job or, you know, a certain particular job or a job full stop or whatever. And being sort of, uh, being a bit generous with yourself, I suppose is kind of important in that, you know, because it's, it's, I think well, this is what you guys are doing. It's like if you're talking to other people, you get a sense, well, you aren't alone in this or other people going through very similar sort of things. So I, I really think, you know, speaking to other directors is, is a really useful thing to do because it, it it stops you being this sort of unique whatever, you know, mm. and, and, and gets you out of your own headspace a bit. As I think, as you, as you were saying before, no. mm. I think that it's just important to just summarise that. Then, so um, for you know, for the purpose of the audience, you know, Ian is somebody who has uh, taught very very successful directors over the years, and you know, it's very clear what he's saying that there isn't a, a straightforward escalator path to to the top and it is tough and you have to get your um you know you, you don't kind of like relying on your own metal and relying on your own um motivation to keep going and and and, and speak to other directors and speak to other artists who whether the directors or not that you that you vibe from around you yeah yeah absolutely uh really important i think that the, the finding other people is i think is the key as you guys have obviously done you know uh because it really is empowering that and also, as you see, a film school, when I'm teaching, you get year groups who, who work really well together, and you can see them literally empowering each other. And so that, however you can find that. Do you think there is a formula to making films? This is a very, very generic question, but do you think there's a formula to making films? And Yeah, I got, um, I've, yeah, I got. <laughs> Sorry, we've been the secret for years. Um, <laughs> trying to make you spill the beans. Um, and um, what do you think makes a compelling story or idea? Wow. Um, no, I don't think there's a formula, thank God. Um, occasionally you get directors, you know, who've made many, many films. They can work out their own formula. You know, this is how I'll make my film but but then they get boring as directors basically you know so i i think 
So I'm wary. I'm very wary of formulas like that. Also, it's not the way I think because, in a way, I I I'd never quite understand. You know, like like people talking about script writing on page twenty. This is meant to happen, and so on. I never quite get any of that. I, I literally don't get. It. I just literally don't understand it. You know, yeah. Obviously, other people do and find that very useful. I just don't know what to do with that kind of knowledge. What was the, what was the second part of the question? Yeah, what what do you think makes a compelling story as well? Yeah. Oh, I see. Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I saw Heart of Stone two nights ago. Mm. Have you seen Heart of Stone? No, no, I haven't. Okay. Well, it's 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 like a, it's an action thriller. Blah blah blah. Do you know about it at all? It's it's a sort of Netflix movie. Blah. Very familiar. Yeah. Uh, it's a Bond esque movie. Sort of lots of action sequences oh, and Gal so on. Oh, so, Yeah, yeah. It's a yeah, Netflixy yeah. debut okay. thing. Okay. Uh, yeah. I can. I kind of found it fun, but that's a particular kind of movie, and and it was fun just because the the locations were fun and the action sequences were fun. You know, mm. the, uh, the the character development was possibly limited, you know, and so on. So in a way, I just watched that and thought, well, that was fun and hasn't changed my life. So, yeah. you know, they're so different, these movies. You know, so, no, I don't think there's a, there's no way, a way of, defining a certain particular narrative for me anyway others are very good at it you know what what do you feel do you think there is um i i think there is a little bit of one but that might just be how i create stories with, like through that lens to make them interesting if that makes sense i'm not sure if it's a universal one um oh yeah but i i guess for me like i i see films as information and so I withhold a lot of, I reveal a bit to the audience and then I unpack it for them and then either use that information to kind of subvert their expectations or kind of satisfy their expectations. And that's kind of it. And then within that, I guess it's like, that can relate to like emotion or, or a scenario. So it could be a setup for an idea is that the reveal of the information in the beginning um, or it could be a character's emotional state. And then it's just how you kind of shift that is what the story is. My basic formula, but it, there's films you see which like characters don't learn anything. <laughs> All they do and they, <laughs> they, they ignore it and that's fine and that's enough. Um, yeah. So stories can be that. anything. Yeah. I think a lot of it is just like what I learned is that like most people don't care as long as it's, it's entertaining throughout so you can do a narrative which doesn't really mean anything but as long as it's entertaining people will accept it because they've been entertained yeah. as well yeah i think that's the thing i think that that's 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 where i come from as well i mean that controlling the information but i think there has to be an element of entertaining it has to be entertaining and then that that is formula that that is put together with propulsion in the story and how you control the information to to get that reaction I think the information thing is a really interesting one because that's what Hi that's what Hitchcock talks about, isn't it? He talks about it's all yeah. about controlling information. Yeah, the bottom end of the table. And when you look at it like that, it does kind of open up a whole world of actually this is engineering, and and you know yeah. you are completely controlling how you want the audience to feel and and how they are and how they're going to be entertained. Mm. Uh, it's like a puzzle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I love that. 
I really like the way you both talking about it in a way, I suppose. Yeah, if I'm working with someone in a script, I kind of try and pick up what they're doing in that sort of way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's what you're into. You know, I agree. Most most movies are about controlling information exactly as you described, but in a way, it's about it's tuning into the, your version of that. Mm-hmm. You know, what I mean? uh, saying like, "Do you mean this or that?" You know, so in a way, um, when I'm working with people on scripts or whatever, it's about kind of trying to duck and die around what those kind of expectations might be. You know, um, as opposed to saying. Oh no! This is how you make a movie, or whatever. You know, because um, it's different for each person, isn't it? Like in terms of when they've written something, they might not know where it's coming from. <laughs> and like, is true. that kind of what your job is as a script editor? Is to kind of like hone in on where they're trying to come from and how to shape that? Or yeah, it is just trying to tune in. There's always some bits that sort of particularly that sort of suddenly go into focus. You know. Uh, even like in the first draft or something, and you think, oh, they seem to, this is what they want to talk about often, you know. Whereas there's bits that sort of struggle for whatever reason, you know, that haven't found themselves yet. Uh, it could be in there what they want to talk about, but but you often can get a sense of where they're at. But I, as a writer, and so a writer-director, it's surprising how little you know yourself of what you've written. Hmm. You know, mm. that you're kind of weirdly innocent, even though you think you've done something. It's surprising mm. how innocent you are. And so I do spend quite a lot of time working with writers and directors going through what they've written, as it were, not not to make the writing better, but just to help them understand what's on the page. Uh, and it's really interesting what, what people are aware of, what they aren't aware of, you know. It's always harder, I think, for writer directors to direct than somebody who's just picking up a script and directing. Because if you've written it yourself, you kind of, you can lose yourself that way as well. Thank you for that, Ian. I want to just pick up on the question that Marcus asked before, was talking about um, filmmakers, um, what was it? Do you, yeah, do, do you think there's a formula in making films? And you were talking about how if, if they do, if, if a filmmaker finds his own formula, they can become boring. And there's two podcasts that I listened to with the same director last, last week, Script Apart, shout out to them, and uh, the the filmmakers podcast shout out to them too and they both had chris mcquarrie on who's just done uh, mission impossible who also won an oscar for the usual suspects for the writing it and he was talking about how tarantino has apparently retired because he's done 10 films and he don't want to do anymore and he says that his greats have you know they all did 10 films and they finished and what chris mcquarrie was saying was one of the reasons tom cruise still keeps going and why he probably himself wants to keep going is because they never lose the desire or the um the appetite to confront, meaning they never, they, they, they never lose this kind of appetite to confront challenges when they're making a new piece of work. And that's what keeps you fresh, is that if you keep confronting things that you you perceive as challenges as a filmmaker. And I really, I found it quite profound what he said, um, because it always does get a worry in it. You get, you get some people coming out with silly quotes, or oh, every filmmaker's only got one feature in him, or, or whatever. You know, a first-time filmmaker will never make the second feature unless, you know, because of just the financial situation. But I found that really, really interesting about how it's important to keep pushing yourself. Yeah, I think, yeah, I, I like that as, as well. I think it is a kind of... Uh, the struggle seems to be an important part of it, or the struggle to get somewhere or say something or 
you know yeah soon because you do see it in filmmakers when they lose that you know and it's it's always disappointing because you know what they're capable of but i don't i agree it's not that directors just capable of one great movie blah 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 it, it is it it's just about the fight in them i suppose or, or their need their need to fight i suppose if you're outrageously successful it must get complicated you know if you get 10 10 million a movie complicated what do you do next in a way you know get a bigger pool <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're gonna need a bigger boat on this one yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah what, what what do you think some of the most common mistakes you see in young filmmakers slash early filmmakers work you know both in shorts and in in features wow tackling all the issues today it's okay it's fine take your time the silence <laughs> is, is gone. we'll edit the silence out so it's fine everyone will think that's we, just coming we should yeah. extend it because everyone's gonna be like what is the answer what's the answer yeah, no, we'll add heartbeats music yeah <laughs> yeah i suppose it is it's getting the story clear in a way it is like is I tell you, you no, know, what I, th I think it is. So yeah, clarity of story, that seems kind of obvious. It is it's somehow engaging us with the characters. It's very easy to have somebody mm, hanging around looking depressed or whatever, and somehow we're meant to connect to that person. You know, of course we do, blah, blah, blah. But um it's somehow how how do you how do you pull people into the worlds of your characters? And sometimes they're just there as a kind of statement of he is happy person, he is unhappy person, you know. And, it, and it's just how do you get into what it's like for that person, you know? So the, the, it's, it's it's quite easy to make caricatures. You have to watch baddies as well, actually, because the the other thing is the the bad character in the political story tends to be totally underwritten and rather sort of unusefully crude. Whereas you need a good opponent, opponent to your main character. If, if you need somebody who's who 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 can create a good conflict, and if you just have this baddie who's outrageously bad and nothing else, it's sort of it it it's it, it's unuseful to your main character. Let alone being not a great way to show any character, I suppose. You know. Mm. Yeah. So like, I forget. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. No, no, no. I was. I was going to continue to listen okay. <laughs> okay unless you've run out of knowledge that's fine oh yeah that's it there's no empty ian are you are yeah. you aware that people call you yoda do you know about that <laughs> and it's not it's not anything to do with age it's just the fact that you've got so much knowledge and you know yeah. some directors who are so successful that have you know come from under your uh, teaching you know they regard you so high they call you yoda and I was like, I remember when we were there, we were like, one of the directors said to me, you need to speak to Yoda. I'm like, who's Yoda? They're like, honestly, you don't understand. And we are like, all right, whatever. And then when we was with you, we spent a few sessions with you. I think about three or four sessions we had with you maybe over the over the time we were there. And I was yeah, like, yeah, he knows what he's talking about. I hope you're aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I Sorry to the directors. I just blurted something yeah, out there, some secret. How dare they? I'm very upset now. No, no, obviously, well, that's uh, is because I speak backwards, I imagine, or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, you have to unpack every sentence. That, that, that's right. No, it's something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's flattering. <laughs>
So with, with that in mind, I've got a question that just follows on from um, what you were talking okay. about then. Well, I'm going to, yeah. It's, it's a theory question. What do you think, Ian, as a director, is the job of the camera in those situations when you are directing? What is the job of the camera? Because you were talking about, about finding not the caricatures, but actually finding the humanity in it. So what's the job of the camera? What's your job as a director? I suppose the camera's got to... to there's something in, in, in each of the characters that might not be visible, you know, or be only just visible. You know, so I think it's one thing a camera can do, I suppose, is kind of find that, you know, like there's a conversation, something going on, they're talking about the weather or whatever, but something else is going on. And I suppose the camera can find that. Cameras are good at, at discovering sort of transitions in, in, in people, you know, when, when somebody's mood shifts from one thing to another, the, the sort of cameras can sort of cue into that or very, seem very good at it. So it's that. They can sort of see stuff that's only barely visible. I suppose that tends to be on a closer shot. But I suppose also they can see stuff just the way people are standing and things that that um, you might not have noticed or whatever. Yeah. There was, um, there was a, a moment on my first year film, I remember, it was... Um, uh, I was working with an elderly actress um, on my film called Swing, and I remember there was a moment on set where basically her husband is hanging behind her, but she's speaking to someone outside and she doesn't want the person outside to know that that's what's going on behind. And then like yeah. when she kind of like tells this nosy neighbor just to piss off essentially without saying it, she turned back around and then looked at her husband and then like had a moment and then walked off. And then I remember her coming back to me maybe like 20 minutes later or something being like, I discovered something in that moment there, which is really important. And I don't know what it is, but you should just take note of that. I was like, okay, thank you. And I remember when I made the film and, and like, I think you edited it. I think you also mentioned that exact point. And it's what you were saying is that um, it's when the camera is there, it's, it's literally capturing those em emotional shifts. Cause up to that point, she hadn't realistically dealt with the situation at all. And that's the moment where she did it. And that wasn't, in the script that's something which the actor did on the day and so yeah I, I've I can't remember why I brought this up but um I think that just speaks to the the importance of of um what cameras do and can capture as well as performance as well um, yeah it's, it's it's brilliant when that happens I suppose it's also brilliant if you're giving the, the actors or everyone the space for that to happen yeah you know I remember why I brought it up now, sorry. It was, it was because you said, now that you've seen that, you will recognise it in everything else that you do. And it's very, very true, because that's literally the point you're, you're, you're making. Oh, that's, that's cool. It is magic when you get that. I suppose those sort of moments that aren't quite visible, that obviously the actor was aware of it and things, it is, particularly when you get into the cutting room, you suddenly find this stuff, you think, whoa, what's that? Uh, and normally it is in the script on obviously th that's why the actor's doing it on some level you know mm. um or have just stretched the moment slightly and, and and created that kind of space yeah it's fun all that i think that's something that i've de definitely discovered i know even being on house of the dragon two points here um that what you were saying before ian one of our other teachers on house of the dragon is a director called claire kilner and um, she recently, well, not recently, but last year she was on a podcast and she said something that was so, that, that kind of like said exactly the same as what you shared. She said, after all these years of directing, 
I've realized that the point of the camera is to put on the screen what's going on inside the characters that you don't see. Cool. And, and I found that, I found that like, wow. Like she goes, if I'd have known that before, she goes, my life would have been a lot easier. She goes, but it's something that I've learned um, over time. That was one thing. And the other thing that I've discovered, you were just talking Ian, about um, when, you, when you get into the editing stage and you've seen what the actors do. I think as a director, you have to be completely open to allowing the camera to capture whatever the actor is doing because you might not necessarily see it on the day. And then when you get into the edit, you're like, oh shit, like they've just brought something in there that I didn't see, just a nuance in their face expression or a nuance in the body language that wasn't prevalent before when you were on set. And it's so important to allow that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really exciting finding that in the cut, that sort of stuff in the cutting room. Also, you need to give you space in the cutting in the cutting room to find that because you might have a scene that you think is crap for some reason, you know, uh, and you can dismiss it too quickly. You know what I mean? So if you keep pushing the cut, pushing the cut, you can begin to find stuff like that. So one thing, one I think people have to be aware of is like not not rejecting stuff too quickly. Mm. You know, and as directors, it's kind of embarrassing to see one's fuck ups on the screen, you know, um, but to other people, other people don't know what you were expecting, et cetera, et cetera. But also you can dismiss things too quickly and also screw up the narrative at the same time. So it's worth hanging in because you, you always get discoveries in every scene. I think particularly towards the end of the cut where you suddenly get these little moments that you're talking about. There was a couple of mistakes I kind of noticed from people as well which might be helpful to audience members. Because I think you were saying about clarity of the story and things and why do people care? I think what you were saying about that was exactly right in terms of there was nothing to make the characters likable to get on their side early on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, then why do you care about someone acting sad? In the first instance, you need to like use your opening scenes to make someone care about someone. I think the other thing... I notice is that people were they're trying to make subtle stories to the point where they just don't shoot very key information in close-ups sometimes because sometimes you just need to be very overt with the visual information that you're presenting and then you can cut it out in the edit if it is too obvious and the story still makes sense but people won't shoot the obvious stuff and then they get to the edit and they're like oh the story doesn't make sense and then you're fucked so I saw that a lot which was weird yeah i agree i agree completely that it is um yeah people can are scared of being simple or people scared of appearing simple you know what i mean or simplistic so they they sort of over pull away from the drama often you know thinking it's crude that's crudeness but at the same time, as well as it being potentially really crude, you know, sort of unoverstated, it, within it, it's got what you want. So in a way, often you have to go into a more dramatic situation and then turn the volume right down to get the level you want. But but some people shy away completely and just get lots of meaningful stuff. Yeah, because yeah. like an audience yeah. won't remember a three-second shot of something you kind of had to force yourself to do. Like they won't remember that, Like, but they'll remember if they don't, if they don't follow a story <laughs> because you've not shown yeah. something very important in that moment. Yeah. Um, but it comes down to it being about films, being about information. Like you have to give the audience the right information to understand what you're trying to tell. I, yeah. I think part of that is you have to love your characters enough to get 
in there with them, mm. you know. So if you care enough about them, sort of past their label, as it were, whatever that label is, it sort of it just forces you as a director to engage, and if you as a director to engage, then the audience engage. So, so often it's that it's like the writer, the writer, director hasn't doesn't quite love their characters enough, you, you know, because you have to be so obsessive, you have to build, you have to enter their their physical space, as it were, to understand them, mm. you know. And if you if you're doing it from oh, I'm not sure about this person as a writer. Uh, then you're stuck there as a director as well, saying, "Oh, not you know, I don't quite like this person, but they're very interesting, you know, blah blah blah." Or I want them for my story. You know, even for not for non-writer directors and directors who just write with the, who direct other people's the writer's material, I think it's so important. It's absolutely critical that you have a good understanding of character and story generally, because if you don't, then how the fuck are you going to interpret what is going on on the page and that controlling of information? And through your prep, like like translating that controlling of information in terms of how you're placing the camera and everything like that, you have to be you have to be intrinsically linked to what is going on, and that's why you have to sit with writers, make sure that your that your that what you've interpreted aligns with the writer's intention. And I'm just wondering, is do you is there any practical advice for how someone can can maybe do that? You know, in the prep, you know, like lining out your beats, making sure that you understand it, because many of our many people in our audience are TV directors and want to be TV directors. They're not going to be directing their own stuff straight away. So I'm just wondering if there are any... Um, I know we're going to go into breakdown in some, some stuff later on, but I'm just wondering right now if there's any practical advice you've got on understanding that. And that is where we're going to leave it for this week in our first part with the wonderful wealth of knowledge that is Ian Seller. So favourite the episode, because I'm sure you're going to come back to it and tune in to next week. And if anyone does happen to be listening, get your questions in at the director's take at outlook.com. And we want you to tell us what you want to know about directing or the film industry at large, and we'll do our best to tell you. Because we want to shape this as a resource for you. So do get your questions in and reach out to us on Instagram, which is the Directors Take Podcast, and also on Twitter, which is at Directors Take. We love engaging with you guys. We like hearing what you thought of the episode. Do you think that Ian's a genius? Did you learn a lot? Should Oz have told him that we all call him Yoda behind his back? Send your thoughts in. And of course, leave us a review on whichever platform you get your podcast from. And I think that's it. So until next time, keep learning, keep failing, and keep the faith.